Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles once again to 2 Peter. Just started a new exposition through the second epistle of Peter in the New Testament. Starting last week and now today, we come to verses 5 through 9 as our focus. The overall theme of this second epistle of Peter can be said growing in grace and knowledge. That's really what uh, it refers back to consistently is that as we grow in knowledge, we grow in the grace that God has given us as we come to know that grace better. And then as we grow in grace, we want to grow in knowledge to understand it better, to plumb the depths of it more, to experience more what it is that God says in giving us his undeserved favor and giving us the righteousness of Christ, his grace. And so growing in grace and knowledge and how they go together, not just growing in knowledge, but growing in grace and knowledge, not just growing even in grace, because you can't without knowledge. So they go together, they are in concert. Now, one of the many reasons why I'm sure this book is also written by Peter uh, is that the style itself flows uh, all in one big unified thought. As opposed to Paul, when preaching through Paul, he will take four or five verses, or I could take four or five of his verses, and that would be a singular thought, and it's very clear and logical in its flow. Peter, just, just like his personality, just says it and just strings it after one thought after another. And it's difficult to separate and still get the gist of what the section we're looking at means. In other words, we're going to have to reach back at last week's teaching and explanation to understand this week's message as well. So for that reason and for context, I will read starting at verse 1 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, reading down to verse 9. But our focus will be specifically for the balance of our time be on verses 5 through 9. Hear God's holy word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for these powerful words. I thank you for really the, what it teaches us. I pray, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would also be doers of the word. And I pray this would have great impact on our lives so that ultimately you could receive glory by the transformation you are working in the lives of sinners like us. Lord, I thank you for how practical your word is and how these qualities speak directly to us. But Lord, we seek to gain proper motivation, proper perspective, proper understanding and how these 
play out in our own lives that we might bring glory to you. I thank you for your word, for your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I truly believe that if you are here today, you want to grow spiritually. I think people pick churches for different reasons, but I think one common reason anyone goes to any church anywhere at any time is because they want to grow spiritually. Maybe they're, they're immature in their understanding of spiritual growth. Maybe they're well advanced in their understanding of spiritual growth. But people go to church thinking that they're going to grow spiritually or they're going to hear something that will help them grow spiritually. That is a legitimate thing to expect. But I think reciprocating from the person sitting there, they have to recognize what spiritual growth actually looks like as God explains it. Because you will not grow spiritually unless you grow God's way the way he has designed for us to grow. It's the perfect way. It's the way that works. It's not always the easy way, but it's the way that God has designed to grow us so we don't stay stagnant or stale, but rather are always growing. In fact, I would submit to you now, and I'll submit to you again later, it's always God's will that his children grow. That's his desire, and he's given us the capability to do this. He's given it to us in his son, ultimately, and works his righteousness that he's given to us out in our lives as well. I believe that these verses, when taken in total context, verses 5 through 9, considering what, from where we have come in the first verses, will show us that spiritual growth comes when we practice spiritual knowledge. They go together. You've got to have spiritual knowledge to grow. But it cannot stop there. It's not about acquiring more knowledge, knowing more theology, being able to systemize more, systematize more doctrine, spell out or spout out what we know, what we know, what we know. It has to be practiced. It has to be practiced to have true growth. Knowledge is not equal with spiritual maturity. Knowledge is not equal with spiritual growth. Spiritual growth comes when we practice spiritual knowledge. I believe the text will say this to us. Let me just be very frank. I know how to lose weight. Right? Many of us, we know how to lose weight. I know how to watch my points. I know how to watch my carbs. I know how to lose weight by exercising. I've done it before. But very honestly, what good is all that knowledge if I'm not doing it? Spiritual growth comes when we practice spiritual knowledge. First, in the most important step, this is why I'm reaching back into the context which we're commanded to do as we rightly understand the word. First, you have to know your standing in Christ. This is the starting point. It's the most important point. It's the point that we all so often catapult because we want to get to doing good or we want to get to doing the list or being moral or following the commandments. And all that's fine, but if it's not done from the proper perspective, motivation and understanding will fail every time and we'll get more and more depressed when we do it. So we start first in our spiritual growth with knowing our standing in Christ. This comes to the person who does not yet know Christ as their Savior. You've got to start there. You have to rely and trust completely in Christ's finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and for your acceptance before God. That's the baseline starting point. For those who've been believers for a long time, it's still the starting point. You've got to recognize your standing in Christ. It's from that standing that you grow. Christ growth. Not Tony growth, but Christ growth. And we begin that way. Look at verse 1. As Peter sets the standing before the people, their position before us. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Note apostle. There are only uh, a few apostles in history. Those who are witnesses of the risen Christ, commissioned personally by Christ to be prophets. 
So not everybody's an apostle. But look what he says. Being an apostle, you could think he'd pull rank on us. But he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So he's saying that people who are in Christ, church people, regular church folk, we have an equal standing across the, across the board as Christians as we're united to Christ. Why? Because he's given us faith. It says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Why could it be that we're equal with Peter in faith? Because faith itself is given to us by God, according to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And so we're given it, we're equal in that sense. Now people exercise it at different levels. God gives a greater measures to do things as he calls people, but we're given a faith in Christ that's base level all of us have in Christ. That's our starting point, our standing, is faith in Christ. Whether you've been a brand new believer this moment or have been walking with Jesus for 10 years, you have similar standing in Christ. That's your position. And what is the basis for the standing before God in Christ? Obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us so that legally we are now Christ before God in the sense of our works. He accepts us because we're in union with his Son whose works are perfect. But it doesn't stop there. Those, those righteous deeds of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, starts to manifest itself in our transformed lives. It comes out. And that's our standing in Christ. And the basis for doing good works is the reflection of our Savior's righteousness truly in us and outward. Look at verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, we grow in our knowledge of grace. Grace multiplies. As we grow in our understanding of our favor before God now because of Christ, we grow in peace. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, all things includes the, the things that he's going to enumerate, the spiritual qualities that he's going to enumerate soon. He's given us all things to be able to do this stuff. He's not saying, I'll save you, now stand up and show me what you got. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'll lift you up and I'll walk you. I'll not just walk with you, I'll walk you through this. Our standing in Christ is the beginning point for empowerment to actually fulfill things God commands us to do, knowing they're ultimately complete in Christ, and now we're manifesting Christ's righteousness by our obedience. Now we see the place of obedience as it relates to our being in Christ or redeemed. It evidences that we are redeemed. It shows Christ's righteousness. How can we do it? By our own strength. Verse 3 again, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So we can't grow by his power apart from the knowledge that we get as we study his word and come to understand him. And why does he do all this? Verse 3 again, called us to his own glory and excellence. That's a perspective shift in our life right there, that our purpose in life is for his glory and his excellence. The beauty of it is he loves his son so much that as we're in union with him, he does, his things, that please, does things that please the son and that that's for our betterment too. So while it's for his glory, it's for our good also. And we'll like it. Now, sometimes it's in time. But we'll like it in the sense that his glory is always what's best for us, created to glorify him. First part of verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Because of Christ and through Christ, we have received everything we need to grow spiritually. So that is what is meant by all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is important 
because as we come to hear these commands, we are not in despair because we can't do them, but we're empowered because he's given us the ability to do them. Big difference in how this could be preached. Please let not one of you go home today and say, boy, Pastor Tony, let us have it today. He gave us this list of stuff we could never do, and frankly, he couldn't do either. I agree with you. I couldn't. But it's his divine power that has given us this. So walk out of here more relying upon Christ to do these things. No one's allowed to say, I gave you moralisms today. You can only say, I gave you some insight, the word of God gave you some insight on how to express what Christ has done in saving us. I want you to think of it this way. As verse 5 begins, for this very reason, now on this basis are standing in Christ, for this very reason, then make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So he begins on the basis of our standing in Christ. I want you to just picture this. Imagine you're a starving artist, someone who has the ability to paint beautiful pictures on a canvas, but you're so poor that you can't even feed yourself, let alone buy supplies that could paint this picture to express yourself. So a rich benefactor sees you laying on the street trying to collect coins and picks you up, takes you to his home, gives you your, his, your own studio to work in, gives you a beautiful canvas, and then gives you beautiful, vibrant colors that you could paint from, that you can take and you could draw and express yourself and do the thing you're created to do, to make art. Imagine that picture. And now imagine God the Father taking you, a homeless orphan yourself in your own sin, and redeeming you. And then taking you and then putting you in front of a canvas, which is this universe, and puts you in front of this canvas and then gives you a bunch of vibrant colors. And the vibrant colors are these spiritual qualities that he works in us. And then with those, he says, now paint a beautiful picture that expresses what your sense of me is. Now we can express by these virtues that God gives us the power to live out, we can express thanks to God, glory to God by doing them by painting them on this canvas that he's given us, which is called the world we live in. Now, in that light, think in terms of how we are to make every effort to develop specific spiritual, specific spiritual qualities. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to, supplant your, uh, to sub supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. This has been called a beautiful ladder of Christian virtue. And understand what I mean by Christian as in Christ. Let's look at each of these and how are they really build upon and relate to one another. And there are a way in which we express his excellent glory. And it starts with virtue. Virtue literally means moral excellence. It means goodness. It means uh, the courage to do what is right. Virtue. What is good? So God calls us to goodness. He calls believers to ascend to something that in our natural self we could never ascend to. We don't tend towards goodness in our fallenness. But in Christ, we can see the things that are good in the world. It's just the same way if you can imagine back when you're reading about God creating everything and he looks at everything that has not been tainted with sin. And what does he say? It was good. That's virtue. And the Christian has the ability with new eyes to see what is good and strive after that thing. But it says also, with vir and virtue, supplement virtue with knowledge. Knowledge here is different than the knowledge that is referred to earlier. I re remember, if you remember me mentioning to you, there are two words for knowledge used. Epigenosis and gnosis. Gnosis, uh, the word 
the root word for Gnostic or knowledge or Gnosticism, the faith in knowledge as the Gnostics had as a heresy in these days. But that's the word. The Greek word is gnosis. And here it's just the general word for knowledge. In other places, it's epigenosis, which means toward or growing and increasing in knowledge. Here it's just the basic term knowledge. And it's connected with what comes before and after it. Uh, how do we know what is morally excellent or virtuous? By practical knowledge, by knowing what is good and what is not good, by correct insight. That's what knowledge means. It's a more generic word for knowledge. So we are to add to our faith or supplement to our faith, faith given to us by God, virtue, and then also knowledge. And then thirdly, self-control. Self-control means what it sounds like. It's temperance. It means you have measured actions. It means you have a master over self rather than self in self's uh, passions mastering you, who you truly are. It's self-discipline. Now, I want you to notice how knowledge and self-control go together. Uh, First, self-control enables us to apply the knowledge that we know. It's one thing to know what I'm supposed to do, but it's another thing then to apply it. So self-control and knowledge go together. Knowledge informs self-control, and self-control helps us prove knowledge, test knowledge, if you will. But it moves on. Steadfastness, that is patience. Uh, It means bearing up under trials that come. It means not quitting when something happens right, uh, right away to knock us off course. It's perseverance. And please, again, notice how they relate. Steadfastness in self-control is what is needed to be consistent. You know, how many have had uh, a sin that you have prayed that God would help you break, and you've seen victory over it, and you really feel like at that moment, maybe for that day or that week, that it's licked. You know, it's not going to come back. And how many would say, may have been a week later, two weeks later, a month later, it comes back. Okay, that's where steadfastness is important. It's one thing to resist one time, but to continue to do that steadfastly, that builds endurance and perseverance for the long haul. So, relating steadfastness with self-control, that gives consistency and stability to our walk. Godliness. Uh, It means a great many things to a great many people, but literally it means one who has a reverence in consideration of God's will over everything. In other words, uh, out of a character and devotion to God, we conduct ourselves a certain way. The old word used to be piety, that you would have piety. It doesn't mean that you're so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good, but, and it could look totally different. I mean, one person, another person could look different in their walk with Christ and both be godly. That is, their ultimate driving motivation is that they want to please God in what they're doing. Uh, they're, in a sense, dissatisfied with the status quo. That's part of what fuels godliness. And I don't mean the status quo in everyone else. I mean the status quo in ourselves. That's what gives us, if you will, godliness. But also brotherly affection. Uh, the two last spiritual qualities, brotherly affection and love, both words used and translated as love. You know brotherly affection is Philadelphia. Brotherly kindness, love towards the brethren. It's family love. It's the kind of love you can only have in Christ united to other believers. Think about this for a moment. We talk all the time about being a family, but please recognize it's actually true. I remember a few weeks back one of my sons said to me during the passing of the peace, Dad, did you know that we're brothers? I said, I don't go too far with that, but you're correct. We are brothers. He's right. Because we're in union with Christ, our Savior. That makes us brothers. You are actually family here today. And in a sense, in a very real sense, more closely connected than you are with your biological family. Certainly in a, in a superior way as it has transformational effect on us. Brotherly affection. 
something we live out. We work out in our own lives together. And it happens right here in the laboratory of the church in the world we're part of. Also, love. Have this quality uh, added. This is the highest form agape love, the form Jesus so loved us with that he would give himself for us. It's beyond even brotherly affection, which is powerful, but it's to the degree of so seeking the will of God that you would do, you would give whatever you can give, temporally speaking, to have that love realized. Notice the list starts with faith, and it ends with love, faith and love. And it's a continuum, and they relate together. So make every effort in light of your standing in Christ to develop these spiritual qualities. Now, the third point, finally, in verse 8 and verse 9, helps us to see these things come to pass. That is, we are to regularly evaluate your spiritual knowledge and growth. I'll say from the onset, the best place for this evaluation happens in the context of your families and your church. And then it happens also in the wider world, no doubt. But we start there, and we constantly and regularly evaluate our spiritual knowledge. And these verses serve as an evaluation tool to some degree. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so it causes us to say, hey, are these qualities mine? Are they increasing? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. You might say, am I being unfruitful or ineffective? Well, maybe these qualities are not working themselves out, or maybe they are, and I'm not recognizing the effectiveness. So there's an evaluation that we get in verse 8. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, again, knowledge related to the living out of qualities, spiritual knowledge relating to spiritual growth. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten all that he was cleansed from, his former, or cleansed from his former sins. So, the tone we have here is the continuing tone throughout this book. It's one of dynamic growth between knowledge and grace, consistently growing. Uh, just a very thumbnail sketch, if you start from verse 1 to verse 9, there are five different places in which there's a dynamic growth spoken of. In verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God. Knowledge literally means towards knowledge growing in knowledge, increasing, becoming partakers of the divine nature. In verse 4 is a reference to the growing in sanctification, being set apart for God. Verse 5, make every effort to supplement. That's a, a maintaining of adding these things. Verse 8, for these qualities are yours and increasing. So my point to you is, is spiritual growth is dynamic. It's ever happening. It's not just you've arrived and now you just sit back. It's a constant growth pattern God has everyone on from the time he calls you to the time he calls you home. It's God's will for his children to never stop growing. But look at verse 8 more closely. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very frankly, living out what you know grants greater understanding about what you know. Think of how effective object lessons are when people are teaching you things. It's because it actualizes some aspect of the theory they're teaching. I, I kid with Brian because one day he outdid Nathan and I. We, we take turns doing chapel for Westminster, leading it. He brings his dog in, if you want to call it a dog. It's this, it's this little, um, what do you call that thing? It's a chihuahua. And, okay, they call that a dog in some places in the world. At any rate, he brought it in before the chapel to show the kids obedience. Someone got an alarm they want to go ahead and hit because it's hard for me to concentrate. I apologize. Thank you. At any rate, uh, I'm very one track, and I can only think of one thing at one time. Uh, the dog sits there, and he tells it to come, and it comes most of the time. Most of the time. 
Uh, so the kids immediately come home and tell me about this awesome object lesson that they learned about obedience. And it was so awesome because they saw it shown in the actions of this little dog. Vivid to them. Uh, because they saw it in real life. Okay, that's the relationship between spiritual knowledge and spiritual growth. You've got to actually do the stuff. Not just tell about it. I mean, I remember how powerful it was in science class. I can't tell you much else about this. But that volcano erupted. It was cool, too. I mean, whatever they put in there, I knew and I understood what that meant by the pressure and how it pushed this lava up and out. And it made total sense to me when I was 10 watching this thing. And I still, when I see a volcano, and recently Mount Etna, where my dad and I visited a few years ago, it's been, it, it, every so often it just explodes more. And I remember back to science class in that explosion and how he showed it in that model. Well, our lives, in a sense, are a chance to live out the spiritual knowledge we're gaining as we learn it. And, and it has to be done. I, I don't know how else to put it. And I know it can be done best if I encourage you in the status that we have in Christ. And that's why I start with that point. Verse 8. These qualities of yours are, are increasing. As they are increasing, you will see more growth. Testing these things means to live them out. Verse 9, for, those, uh, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is a reference to myopia, being myopic. And just picture it now. If I'm trying to read, if I'm trying to I'll read this to you, and I'm, I have my face right up to it. I'm so nearsighted that I can't see what's going on beyond it. All I can see is this, and frankly, I can't even see this good. It's kind of blurry to me. Myopia spiritually simply means that as we overlook these virtues that God says have eternal significance, we overlook the fact that they have eternal significance, and what we're focusing on is very near and very temporal, and it won't last, and it might even hurt us. In fact, it will hurt us. Instead of virtue, we carry out our going after things that are sinful, Things that aren't good, that may be pleasurable for the moment, but not for the long haul. Instead of knowledge, we stay purposefully ignorant. I don't want to know that. Instead of self-control, we give ourselves over to our need for immediate gratification. That's nearsightedness that doesn't see the long haul and what it'll do. Steadfastness. We just give up on a commitment when it comes. Because we think relief from that pain right now would be better than sticking through it for the long. We just don't see straight. We quit before we should. Godliness, we act like the rest of sinful humanity. Brotherly affection, instead of being affectionate towards our family or loving towards our family in the highest sense, we look out for our own good and live our own, to our own satisfaction. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. But here again, back to the starting point we come in this last phrase of verse 9, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you forget your cleansing by Christ, you'll fall back into pursuit of sin. But if you remember what you've been cleansed from and cleansed to, then you now have motivation that will actually give you victory. I've never ever had one ounce of victory when I strive after trying to please God in my flesh. Not once. It has to be given, I have to be given spiritual grace by God. And it always comes every time I think of the gospel again to do what's right as a means to thank God for what he has done for me, to live it out. Spiritual growth comes when we practice spiritual knowledge. First, you've got to know your standing in Christ. Second, you've got to make every effort, every effort in light of the standing to develop specific, uh, specific spiritual qualities. And finally, regularly evaluate your spiritual knowledge and growth. And in the church, that's one of the greatest places, your family, your church, these are the greatest places 
to evaluate this honestly and seek to grow more in knowledge and in grace. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word is indeed truth. In fact, Lord Jesus, you said, sanctify them by your truth. Lord, and we seek that sanctification that your word gives by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that each person here would be just encouraged to live out painting this beautiful painting of thanks based on what you've given us, these spiritual qualities to work themselves out in our lives because of the righteousness of Christ, that we might paint to you a great painting of praise that is our lives. Lord, you give us the chance to wipe off certain sections of that painting, Lord, as we paint again and recognize how you are working to bring glory to yourself through us sinners. Lord, that gives us great joy. It gives us great hope. It gives us the ability to see sin defeated in our lives. I pray that this would be a reality for each person and for this person right now who has some, something that's just gnawing at them right now, something they don't think they can, they can tackle. Lord, help them know they can't tackle this. Christ has tackled it, and now they can see victory over it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals as the elders come to prepare the table to number 600, He Leadeth Me. Let's sing the first two verses as we stand together, 600. <laughs> 